one. Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news roundup whose motto is sufficient unto the weak is the evil thereof. In fact, sufficient unto the week is one hour's worth of the evil thereof, and that's what we bring you every week with some of the greatest guest commentators available, such as Dr. E. Michael Jones of CultureWars.com. Hey, welcome, Mike. How's it going? Thank you, Kevin. Good to be here. Yeah, ex excellent to have you back. Uh, you have a, a big legion of fans, actually, who, who treasure your False Flag Weekly News appearances. Well, so I'm honored to hear that. Yeah, well, I'm not just uh, giving you stroking your ego here it's actually quite true so here we go with the slide of the week it was the 71st 75th rather anniversary of the palestinian nakba which is palestinian holocaust or the the catastrophe the bloody catastrophe that basically destroyed uh, palestine and we'll talk about that in the show but first some public service announcements please we do need your help to keep this show going go to truthjihad.com Follow the Icelandic site and click on False Flag Weekly News. That will take you to this show. Here's the entry. Down there at the bottom, you see the arrows. They're pointing at two fundraisers. The first one is for this particular show, which last I checked was still way short, so we need to make up that uh, deficit. And then the second one is Take Us to Morocco. So here's Take Us to Morocco. Uh, wait, here's Take Us to Morocco. And we're getting there. It's getting close. We may actually be able to make it. And here's the uh, mere $50 raised for today's show last I checked. So let's fix that so we can keep doing this wonderful show. You can also PayPal to TruthJihad at Gmail, or you can snail mail cash, securities, numbers for Bitcoin accounts, uh, you know, ways to hack into George Soros' Swiss bank account, anything you want to send me in the mail, send it to this address. P.O. Box 221 Lone Rock, Wisconsin 53556. Okay, let's get going with Joe. Nakba's 75th anniversary uh, the Times of Israel, Mike, was outraged at Abbas's call for the UN to oust Israel after its blatant flouting of dozens or is it hundreds of resolutions, starting with uh, the refugees refugees have to return, and uh, here's Palestine's land, here's your land, and all of this sort of thing, and uh, and get back from that land you stole in 1967, on and on and on, and the Israelis have ignored all of it. So, of course, naturally, the U.S. and Israel aren't too happy about this U.N. appearance. What's your take? Well, it's more of the same. How long have we been hearing this type of thing? And the, the, the Palestinian land uh, gets smaller and smaller all, all the time. It does, it's, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, part of, it's part of Jewish privilege. It's part, I think, one of the fundamental uh uh, purposes of the Holocaust narrative were to justify the foundation of the state of Israel. It also exonerated America from war crimes. And I think until we start dealing with this whole era glo globally uh, in a, a big, big picture way, we're, we're not going to see, we're not going to see uh, any, any change in this thing. Well, this 75th anniversary of the Nakba got a fair bit of play internationally, largely thanks to Abbas's appearance at the UN. Uh, here's the electronic intifada a leading Palestinian resistance, quasi-resistance site anyway. Uh, and I, we could go into the details about that, but I'll, I'll skip that. Uh, with its uh, tribute to these people who lost everything when the Zionists massacred whole villages full of men, women, and children, bayoneting the women and the babies and so on, and then broadcasting what they'd done to all the other villages and killing a few people there too, and then bombing from the air and essentially emptying the country of Palestinians. And so the electronic intifada covered it. 
Uh, and then, interestingly, this Jewish Currents.org covered it, which is a sort of a left-leaning Jewish magazine. So that leads to the question, oh, of course, but then then we also had uh, the other side, uh, people like Ben Gavir and, uh, and, and Eliyahu, the heritage minister in Israel, who say these things about basically we got to have to exterminate the Palestinians. You know, we, we should have finished the job. Uh, the fly was must it, be killed also his children. Yeah. Was he banned on Twitter for saying that? I don't know, but somehow <laughs> there seems to be a Jewish privilege to get away with saying things that you could never say against Jews. If you say against the Jews enemies. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, yeah. So uh, Palestinians call for killing uh, Jewish children. Uh, that's different. So it's this. This is part of the the uh, superstructure that got erected after World War II, and we're still living under under this this nightmare. This is what this it was created to do. Uh, it, it you what we have here is the uh, sense uh, the 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 unwritten grammar here is the truth is the opinion of the powerful, and if you're powerful, you control the narrative, and that's that's the end of the story. That that is changing. Uh, it ha is changing. It's slowly. I mean, how slowly is going to change? I don't know. Uh, but things always speed up at the end. There's uh, the fact that the Israelis can't get along with each other uh, doesn't bode well for the future. But uh, they're, they're up against. They're they're just up against uh, forces that over the long haul are going to put them out of business. It doesn't seem that way at the moment. Every time we come to this Nakba thing, I th keep thinking that, uh, you know, where is uh, where is God listening to the cry of the poor? Uh, that's why it's so uh, depressing to to face this every year. But, yeah. you know, it, it comes from it comes from all sorts of unexpected angles. Uh, and who knows? Who yeah. knows where it's going to end? Yeah, God's justice obviously doesn't work really quickly in linear time as we experience time. But uh, it, you know, in the Quran, we hear that God sort of gives them enough time and rope to hang themselves. Let's the the uh, the the bad people, the powerful, get away with stuff for a while, and then they realize at the end that they're not getting away with anything. Well, among the things that are changing, Mike, and, and leading us to think that maybe, despite there being a seventy fifth anniversary of the Nakba, as essentially the Nakba continues in slow motion, that maybe there won't be a one hundredth. Is is that a lot of People in the Jewish diaspora, that is, uh, Jews who live elsewhere other than in Israel and who, as an ethnic group, are unusually wealthy, powerful, privileged, and you know, influential, uh, many of them, like these people who published this excellent piece on the Nakba at the JewishCurrents.org, which is really just as good as the electronic intifadas, they didn't, you know, they weren't really lowballing or you know, hiding anything. Uh, so these young Jews, um, see, are increasingly turning away from an ever more genocidal Israel. So that leads to the question. You know, if you're going to general, generalize about Jews, would you say, are Jews compassionate and just, or are they genocidal? And of course, the answer is it depends which Jews. Yeah, uh, but uh, this, the Israelis have spoken for themselves. Uh, uh, whether whether there are enough Jews there to, to uh, turn the tide, it, it hasn't happened yet. When I tried to bring this up with uh, Miko Pellet, uh, he went around trying to get me banned from that conference in, in uh, Mashhad. Uh, the the United States Jews involvement in promoting uh, Israel, all of this type of stuff, uh, it it just didn't couldn't couldn't talk to him about it. Couldn't talk to him about it. Yeah, it's funny how some some people and Miko apparently I don't know, I had him on my radio show and he seemed pretty reasonable, but apparently he's got his no go areas uh, in terms of I suppose the J word and also I think you know he's a leftist 
have secular leftist. And so, you know, those of us who have more traditionalist religious views, probably uh, it's hard. It's, you know, he's, he can't kind of let go of his preconceptions and relate to us and our, our uh, way of seeing things. But well, moving on from the NACPA anniversary to the debt ceiling, we're only going to do this one story on that, which is the uh, responsible statecraft observation that there had been, and this is actually kind of a first, Mike, a Republican plan to cut defense spending, and it kind of got lost now in this debt ceiling debate, uh, but it was there before. Back in January, uh, McCarthy said he was open to a defense budget cut proposal by a bunch of Republican holdouts, including Matt Getz and Chip Roy. So we're in a weird world now where it's Republicans are playing a main a leading role in talking about cutting the military budget, not that they're ever going to actually succeed in doing so anytime soon. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't see any solution here over the horizon. The, 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 the if I were a, a, a rabid supporter of the American empire, I would be really upset at what the Biden administration is doing. Because uh, everything that they do brings about the end of the uh, the empire. They are they are the sanctions are destroying uh, the dollar as the reserve currency. No one's paying attention to them. Uh, they keep threatening more and more sanctions, and they keep the more sanctions they threaten, the more people ignore what they're saying. So I would be really upset. But it seems to me that if you're talking about God's plan here, I think that Biden was appointed to bring about the uh, end of the American empire. In spite it, of himself. Yeah, it does uh, sometimes look like that, doesn't it? So let's see. Uh, I've, I've noticed the details on this were interesting that, in fact, uh, it was not Getz and a couple of these other guys were actually proposing uh, significant cuts. And Chris Miller, who was the defense secretary for Trump at the end of Trump's reign, published a book calling for a nearly 50% reduction in the Pentagon's budget. You know, now that's not the 95% reduction I would call for, but you know, it's pretty substantial. Yeah. But uh, you've got the military industrial complex uh, making money hand over fist. This incident recently. So just to show how it works, uh, Zelensky and the Ukrainian guys uh, claim that uh, Patriot missiles shot down a Kinjal missile. Yeah. We're, oh, we're going to get to that stuff soon. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's so, so, yeah, we're certainly throwing a lot of, a lot of useless money at that and a lot of other things. But before we get over to the war on Russia through Ukraine, we're going to talk about some huge leadership crises in Turkey and Pakistan, two leading countries of the Muslim East. Over in Turkey, Erdogan outperformed expectations, winning, nearly winning an outright majority and not needing the uh, the runoff elections. But his opponent, Kilik Darglu, had a, I'm not very good at pronouncing Turkish, uh, was just barely able to deny him that outright victory. Now, of course, that's not what the Western press had been saying ahead of time. They were looking forward to getting rid of Erdogan. And National Public Radio's piece, like many other Western media pieces, offered a barely veiled sort of, you know, uh, wish that we could finally get rid of this troublesome Erdogan. Why is that? Well, uh, Erdogan has been not a reliable partner of the empire. He He's open. He's trading like crazy with Russia. He's on board with the BRICS. Uh, he's, he's not propping up uh, the uh, Washington's reign over the world. He's in a, a geopolitical position, uh, which really should not put him in NATO. There's no reason why he should be in NATO. 
because he's in between the big uh, block on the east between Russia and and Europe. But, but wait, and, wait, and, wait, 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 wait. Uh, NATO was formed to protect against the Soviet Union, supposed to supposedly defending countries against Soviet invasion. And Turkey has had, I mean, even before the Soviet Union, Turkey had issues with uh, Russia invading and taking territory that was part of the Ottoman Empire. That's right. That's right. But I mean, the point here is that he's in a position where he will switch back and forth between Russia and the West, depending on who gives him the, mo the most money. There is no there's no mm -hmm. def there's no definitive position here. And so he's not a reliable ally and he should have been included in the first place. He will he will use his position to extort money from the people like Germany. He will threaten to release more refugees and extort money from Germany. It, it, it there's you can't. You can't just make it out to be uh, as if he belongs somewhere or he doesn't belong. He doesn't belong in NATO. He doesn't belong in NATO. He doesn't. Be, he's in the middle. Well, I don't think NATO belongs in NATO anymore, no, Mike. Obviously, NATO should have been abolished in 1991 or 89 back then. Uh, the fact that it hasn't has only caused problems. And this is just one of those part of the collateral damage that it caused when you're trying to force people into situations where they 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 don't belong and don't want to belong. Right. And that's one of the areas where I found something positive to say about Donald Trump, his uh, skepticism about NATO, though, as usual, he wasn't able to actually make his actions live up to his words. Um, one leader whose actions do live up to his words is Imran Khan, who was thrown out of the leadership in Pakistan a while back after a U.S.-sponsored coup d'etat, uh, barely disguised as an electoral uh, coup d'etat. And he's been persecuted ever since. And currently, as we speak, the police are surrounding his house, claiming that he's got allies who helped rouse the country when he was arrested and there was fear he was going to be assassinated. The uh, people of Pakistan basically went wild out in the streets, and the, that's why the military had to release him or allow the courts to release him. And now they're threatening to grab him again because some of the ringleaders in orchestrating the uprisings around the country designed to get him released are apparently sheltering in his compound. That's what they say anyway. And so here's the latest from just a few hours ago. Uh, the headlines are all about the tense standoff at his compound where the police are trying to get him but he, they can't get in. Uh, and Imran Khan is warning of a of disaster, an East Pakistan-like situation. Of course, East Pakistan is now Bangladesh uh, after a horrific, bloody implosion in war. So it's a it's a real dangerous situation over there. And Imran Khan is one of the very few honest leaders in the world. So I wish him success and hope that he returns to power. Yeah, well, it was a coup. To, to basically, the United States paid off the legislators to to oust him. Uh, but that's the tradition in Pakistan, isn't it? Isn't that where the that was that the launching pad for the attack on uh, Afghanistan? Didn't they use that to uh, uh, basically send all those weapons in? Was weren't all of those dictators bought off back then? Didn't they? If they didn't go along, didn't their planes crash? Does, does this country have an identity? Uh, does it have its own identity? Can it represent itself? Uh, I know some, well, actually one of the people we met at this uh, conference, uh, one of the conferences from London, uh, a Muslim from India, uh, said Pakistan is a failed failed state. Mm -hmm. it's, old, it's, it's as old as Israel, isn't it? Isn't it at the same age, around the same age as Israel? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there have been uh, comparisons of Pakistan and Israel in that in both cases, 
you had these states, uh, kind of ethno-religious states, one way or another, formed in these gigantic acts of ethnic cleansing. Of course, the difference was that with Pakistan, the ethnic cleansing went both ways. And in fact, there was actually more mass murder and violence coming uh, from the Hindus against the Muslims, because there's this Hindu fanatical current that's currently in power in India, whose ultimate goal is to remove all non-Hindus from the entire Indian subcontinent, which would be the biggest genocide in history. So that was very different from where in, in, in Palestine, you had these Zionist invaders uh, committing the ethnic cleansing. But so there's a there's a structural difference. But in both cases, we had these huge ethnic cleansing. Then we had creations of sort of religious ethno religious states, Pakistan, which is a Muslim state, and uh, in Israel, the so called Jewish state. Yeah, and is it going to succeed? I, I know the Indians uh, are just becoming increasingly violent uh, be, uh, because of the uh, that Narendra Modi and the BJP are playing a double game of basically trying to keep wages down so that it's the low-wage capital of the world as their foreign policy, and then staying in power by pandering to the Hindu fundamentalists, who are extremely violent people. Well, he uh, is one. And, Modi's a Hindu fundamentalist himself, of course. Right, right. But I mean, pandering to that group of people and making life miserable for both Christians, uh, Catholics, and Muslims. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's it's so, and, that, but, and that, but, that's why Pakistan's failed, Mike, is because Pakistan is what a few hundred million people up against 1.5 billion over in India, and they India there are a lot of people in India. The, the power center in India wants to take back Pakistan. They never accepted that right. partition. So, 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 so do, do they have a modus uh, vivendi? Does does Hinduism can Hinduism come up with a modus vivendi? I don't think so. Uh, Hinduism is is not known for its rationality. And so you have to, you when you westernize it, I think Gandhi was a, a westernizer. And I think that basically, I mean, he was killed by a Hindu fundamentalist. Mm -hmm. So so it, you've got a situation where uh, Logos really hasn't penetrated there. Mm -hmm. it's, the well, point, hey, the whole world's in the Kali Yuga, named after Kali, the uh, guy, the Hindu goddess of, of dest destruction, assassination, and things like that. So I guess maybe India's just a little further along than the rest of us. I, I traveled all around India with a, a priest, my pastor here, a Catholic priest who comes from a, a traditional uh, Catholic family in India. And he, he, he tried to, you said, well, he says to me, you can't talk to these people. He said, you can't talk to people who worship monkeys. <laughs> just, yep. just can't, you just can't do it. And so as a result, there is this, always this seething type of irrationality at the base of their culture that is ready to spill over to, to, into violence at a moment's notice. That yeah, that's what a lot of Muslims say, too. Um, I, I try to remember there are plenty of Hindus who are not that crazy, but unfortunately, there are a lot who are. Well, I'm, I, look, I, I know there, 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 there are all kinds of people there. But I'm saying with this as the fundamental basis of what of what you believe, when it's fundamentally mm -hmm. irrational, you're not mm -hmm. going to be able to come up with uh, solutions to, to political problems. That, that's yeah. sophisticated. You need some type of sophisticated understanding of human mm -hmm. beings and their place on earth and their relationship mm -hmm. to God before you can come up with some type of modus vivendi so that all these people can live together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And I do think, though, within what's called Hinduism, there actually are some rational teachings. The Upanishads, for example, are classic mystical texts which fit in very well with the highest you know, Logos-inspired prophetic writings of the Axial Age. But at the same time, much of the Hindu world has degenerated into worshipping monkeys and worshipping Kali and this sort of thing.
I talked, I had a, a, a guy, actually, I said there, got into a conversation with some uh, Indian and told him there was no Logos. He got offended by that. And I started talking about the irrationality of the culture and he agreed with me. Uh, but he he traces it back to uh, the, the 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 caste system, which he see, yeah. feels he feels was based on usury. It was kind of mm. like a religious sanction of usury, which imp imposed irrationality and injustice on the culture as something immutable, which could never be changed. You know, I think there's something to that analysis. Again, everything you're saying would be the stuff I, I've I've heard from a lot of Muslim friends who know the subcontinent very well. So uh, you might very well be marking up the right tree there, Mike, but we'll move on to a different tree to bark up. How about the war on Russia news? We did get started mentioning that earlier. And uh, Zelensky has been plotting bold attacks. No, these like insane World War Three starting kinds of attacks. And it's unclear whether anybody's going to stop him. So in private, publicly, he goes along with the Western restrictions. But in private, he wants to invade Russia, occupy parts of Russia, bomb the pipeline to Hungary, which is a NATO member. And uh, he wants long-range missiles that can hit inside Russia's borders. And now he's getting them. He's getting some British missiles now that can target Crimea, which, of course, that's like targeting Moscow pretty much. So uh, this is bad news. Yeah, and when are the adults going to wake up here and stop this slaughter and start negotiating? Once again, the British enter in just like Boris Johnson is responsible for the fact that uh, uh, Zelensky broke off the negotiations, and now they entering with their sh what are they called? Shadows, something or other missiles. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. They, is that this next story? I think uh, no. Where where is it? Uh, yeah, in in this one, the the new Storm Shadow cruise missiles. Are, can can hit Crimea, uh, and the British are starting to send them now. Bren Wallace just revealed that uh, they've they have arrived in Ukraine. So uh, why? Uh, what do they expect to happen here? It's not going to change the course of the war. Bakhmut is within is going to fall within hours or days. It's over, and then after Bakhmut, there's no line of defense all the way to the Dnieper. Now, all of the weapons that they have poured in, not one of them has made a difference here. Uh, and as I said before, uh, they're, they're now, uh, Zelensky's traveling around Europe. The French were uh, uh, asked to apologize for radio uh, broadcasters who said that it was uh, like a traveling circus here. Everybody's disgusted with this guy. It's where that that olive drab t-shirt is really wearing thin. Everything that they've sent he's, has been wasted. Apparently, this big uh, uh, cruise, they sent the uh, Patriot missile. Uh, uh, it's supposed to defend Kiev. Uh, instead of defending Kiev, they fired off 30 missiles right away, and then the whole thing was blown up. They're just wasting money. They're wasting lives. And nobody seems to be uh, in control here. Zelensky, is Zelensky in control? Or is he just doing the bidding of the British now? Uh, it, it's, it's impossible to see who's in control. And the fact is that people are dying. All of the people who have died, we're going on the third uh, third Ukrainian army now that has been destroyed simply because the people in charge are are using uh, them as cannon fodder. Well, this I would can't like to go on. I'd like to think there are people on the inside 
that are pushing back against this. Now, these leaks that reveal these crazy things that Zelensky wants to do seem to have come out of that uh, airman uh, Texera of the Massachusetts Air National Guard, this young guy who mysteriously had access to all of these secret documents, which are quite embarrassing to Zelensky, showing that the war is not going as well as we said, and that Zelensky is doing these crazy things and so on and so forth. And now we learn that he was caught mishandling secrets well, well before his arrest. He was totally on the radar screen, and yet he kept just posting this stuff on the internet uh so frankly i think there's got to be some kind of pushback thing going on here where he's fronting for a group of people who are they see the writing on the wall and they're uh horrified by what biden and his administration are doing i think that all of the cia guys on the internet have all said that he could not have had access to that high level type of information so the information is true and he's simply a fall guy that is being uh, punished because, hey, he's a Catholic. He's a conservative Catholic now. This is the main uh, target now of uh, uh, Merrick Garland's uh, Justice Department. You can find a Catholic, you can use him as the fall guy. But what what's behind it, I think, is the higher levels of the military realize this is catastrophe. Mm-hmm. A- and you've got, you've got people in charge uh, who can't do what they're supposed to do. You got a you got a secretary of state who doesn't know how to talk, doesn't know how to negotiate. You got an attorney general who can't go after criminals and is always looking for fall guys. You got a a, a head of uh, homeland security that can't secure the border. You got a secretary of treasury who can't keep banks from failing. It's a catastrophe, and this is so the the people in the military who are trying to think, well, how can we send a message here? What what else do we need to do here to change course and get some rationality into our foreign policy so we need a leaker and oh this guy's catholic so we can totally uh uh go with that you know we can blame him and and so on and so forth yeah that that certainly could be so yeah things are looking pretty pretty bad now though as the other side the war party is is pushing these new british uh cruise missiles on ukraine and meanwhile the british are also taking the lead in rendering the whole region radioactive with depleted uranium. And we just had this ammunition dump full of DU weapons get hit by the Russians, and boom, there's a huge spike in the radiation signature. So pretty soon, this is going to be like those parts of Iraq where the babies are being born with two heads. Yeah, or Serbia, same thing. All the depleted uranium that got dumped on Serbia. uh, yeah. So uh, they, they uh, why? How is it that they cannot stop these missiles from coming in? So what they do is they concoct a fiction that they do stop them. The Patriots shot down a Kinzhal missile. Nobody believes that. Uh, it looks as if to, to me as if this is uh, Zelensky uh, shilling for the military industrial complex so that they can get uh, more budget so that they can produce more ineffective Patriot missiles. Uh, and he can skim it off the top or however he makes his money off of this type of stuff. And it goes round and round, except that they keep losing the war. Well, the whole country's going to be radioactive and the Russians aren't even going to have to nuke it. Uh, yeah. Thanks to Britain. This, this yeah. will, by the way, thwart the plan, the original plan. Apparently, this is Ken- I think Kennedy just tweeted this, that uh, the, the third largest debtor country in the world was the Ukraine. And once you get the debt to that level, the uh, World Bank or uh, whatever it is steps in. And says, okay, you can't pay it off. Well, we'll take, uh, we'll change the law so that now BlackRock can buy up all the farmland. 
Well, a great plan, but you got to win the war before you can do that. And uh, in the meantime, you're rendering all of this prime farmland radioactive with your depleted ammunition. So uh, this is not working out. So only a crazy conspiracy theorist like RFK Jr. would say something against uh, spreading depleted uranium all over some of the world's best farmland in Ukraine. Uh, he's the only one saying anything intelligent. Over on the other side of this war, uh, Russia is winning diplomatically, as well as at least holding the line, if not more militarily. They are making deals left, right, and center. Of course, China is behind the scenes propping the whole thing up. But now Iran and Russia just signed this Rasht Astara railway agreement going between Russia and Iran through Azerbaijan. It's part of a larger north-south transport corridor that's bringing uh, Iran, uh, India, Russia, and so on all together. So it's, uh, you know, it, Russia is diplomatically uh, way outperforming expectations and likewise in terms of the ruble's uh, value. So the the economic war is, is failing. So they're going to have to wrap this thing up pretty soon, aren't they? Well, this is uh, this is the exact opposite of what they should be doing. I mean, you know, Iran was always uh, suspicious of Russia. Iran was basically partitioned during World yeah, War II. Just like II. Turkey, right? I mean, Turkey and Iran have had problems with Russian expansionism historically. Right. right. Yeah. So it was partitioned. The northern half of uh, uh, Iran was under Russian control during World War II. And yeah, they, Azerbaijan. They, they, actually, Azerbaijan is part of Iran. It so was. so yeah. so they're 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 resentful of this and now the the geniuses in charge of our foreign policy are driving the Iranians into Russians open arms exact opposite of what you should be doing mm -hmm. this is the McKinder thesis you've got to divide the Eurasian landmass everything they do is uniting the Eurasian landmass into an entity that they cannot they cannot attack uh, okay so you can't attack that. But you can't strangle it anymore with naval blockades either, which was always the strategy of the British and American Navy. So it was, force, it's force. like the cunning of reason, right? It is. I think I keep saying I, I get tired. I've heard of that. Somebody it. keeps saying that. I think I've heard that before. <laughs> but I, yeah, keep, no. I keep saying that and I keep being proven right every time I say it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you, Mike. Uh, it uh, kind of sticks with me when I see these kinds of stories going coming up all the time. Um, let's move on to this news about the Kennedys. Okay, so uh, this week we had a left-wing rag counterpunch and a leading conservative publication, the American Conservative, both published these very positive uh, RFK Jr. articles. This is Should the Left Give RFK Jr. a Chance by... Uh, Anis Shivani, and the answer in the article is clearly yes. And then uh, over in the American Conservative, we have uh, an equally positive article pointing out that his, Kennedy's pledge to end the corrupt merger between state and corporate power is hardly uh, a left-wing diatribe, that it's something, in fact, that everybody should get behind. In fact, it's an entreaty to morality and faith. So would you agree with uh, either the left-wing counterpunch analysis and or the right-wing American conservative analysis? Well, I think that uh, Kennedy's advantage here is that he has a kind of a family history that allows him to enter into the discussion before it got polarized, uh, uh, on, uh, maybe forever, uh, because of his, the death of his father and of his uncle. And so he's now saying that it was a CIA plot and that it was a coup d'etat. Now, I think that's something significant. 
And I think that we're starting to realize that there was something deeper going on there. And if he can bring about some type of reevaluation of what has happened since that time, based on the fact that the, the government was stolen from the people, I think he's I think he's got a chance. I think well, he's yeah. got a chance to do it. But the question is, are the are are the people going to uh, who's going to lay down the arms uh, in this in the culture wars? Who's going to do it? This this who is going to say the uh, talk about the left, for example, and say that it is abandoned the working man and, and focused on sexual politics as a form of control. Who is going to say that? Is he going to say that? You know, I, I don't think he's going to say it in a in a harsh or even a, kind of a, a critical and accurate way. He might say some things somewhat vaguely that lead in that direction, because I, I don't think, you know, that there is there's really no way to talk about those issues uh, with specifics and, and you know, rationally with without kind of putting yourself on one side or the other of the divide. Well, you know, you mentioned this assassinations issue and unlike Trump who as president, uh, after having promised to release all JFK documents uh, in accordance with that JFA, whatever it was, act from way back 20 years ago or something, and they never release them, they keep, you know, they release a few and then they hide all the rest. And and uh, so Trump promised to do that, to release all the JFK documents. And then uh, the night before he put out this statement, I agree with the archivist's recommendation that the continued withholdings are necessary to protect against identifiable harm to national security, law enforcement, foreign affairs. That is of such gravity that it outweighs the public interest in immediate disclosure. So what could be so grave about information about a killing back in 1963 that is going to have so much impact uh so much harm for national security and so on and so forth this is all very bizarre now trump is is now once again promising that if he gets re-elected elected again that he will release all the documents this time i don't believe him but i do believe that rfk jr would of course the bad guys believe that too which is why it's going to be real tough for him to actually get to yeah the white house well if uh, if he i guess if is what he says is true as soon as he come, becomes a viable candidate, someone will kill him. Because that's, that's what, what a lot they of people did. suggested. That's, yeah, that's that's what happened to his father. Yeah, uh, there's no question about that. That's what happened to his uncle. The question is, uh, uh, the only way that let's say the the hold of the Stasi over East Germany was broken was with the collapse of the government. Yeah. Uh, well, we so, have a, our own Stasi. We have to break, I guess. Well, is that is that what it's going to have to be? So what you're saying then, in effect, is that the situation here is irreformable and that all we can pray for is God's wrath descending upon America and crushing it and breaking it, whatever it is, breaking the hold of the oligarchs. Well, I think oh, we, could, we could pray for a miracle in which things would play out better than that, but we can certainly uh, face the reality that maybe the best we're ever going to get is God's wrath. When I was in Mashhad, I prayed for the peaceful end of the American empire. Uh, so, uh, but when it, when the, when the evil is so deeply entrenched, uh, maybe God has to destroy the, the, the whole situation before it can be built up again. No, I don't know. I, yeah, it's not what yeah. I'm praying for, but mm -hmm. I'm saying that in situations like the, the Roman empire was such a t tyranny that it had to collapse. And then mm -hmm. there was this period of chaos and then for gradually, gradually something greater emerged the Holy Roman Empire, Europe, whatever you want to call it. 
but uh, empires, Vico said, empires are human creations and nothing human lasts forever. And he says they have the trajectory of a human life. And so mm. and that's what leads me to wonder about Israel as well, because mm. the last Jewish empire known as communism uh, had the lifespan of a man. It was basically a 70-year lifespan, and then it mysteriously disappeared. And now we're, we're to that point with um, uh, Israel. Yeah, that's a good point. So that, as we said, the 75th anniversary of the Nakba may not be followed by a 100th. Um, so Trump, speaking of Trump, uh, you know, he, he doesn't keep a whole lot of promises, doesn't get very much done, talks a good game sometimes and a bad game sometimes. So let's do our, our obligatory Trump news. The big Trump news this week, and indeed for some people's view, the biggest story of the week, was the Durham report came out pointing out that Trump Russia was a hoax. And, you know, I apologize. I fell for some of this. I thought, well, that that P gate thing about his the Russian prostitutes was not that out of character for Trump or probably for a lot of other American uh, billionaires. And so I, I had a I kind of suspended judgment, but leaned towards the thinking that there might be some there there. There was some kind of Trump Russia connection. Then later, of course, we all learned that that was pretty bogus. Indeed, there was an Israel gate. It was, in fact, the Israelis that put Trump in office. And there's real evidence for that. But of course, for some reason, the mainstream media won't talk about that. Or the Justice Department won't prosecute. Yeah, we, we, we This is a serious crisis where you have uh, 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 prosecutors who won't prosecute, where the law is simply justice is the opinion of the powerful. This is what Thrasymachus said to Socrates. Uh, and and uh, the 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 rejection of that idea was the only thing that allowed the rule of law to come into existence. Well, now it's being completely eroded again. Uh, and and the question is, uh, is there is, will there be any consequences for, uh, for people for people who break the law if they are rich and powerful? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that there'll probably be no consequences for these people who pushed this Russia Gate hoax. Um, but it's more interesting that there'll be obviously there'll be no consequences for the Israelis and their their what do you call them their CNM their their helpers who rigged the election in 2016 for Trump. Um, so yeah, it's 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 completely insane. Uh, meanwhile, we have the Trump related story of the Dominion voting systems role in getting Tucker Carlson fired. Of course, Dominion had that bizarre legal win over Fox News, which made no sense at all, because all Fox did was, uh, you know, they reported that Rudy Giuliani said that these Dominion machines were crooked. Well, that's newsworthy. If Giuliani says it, you report it. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to disagree with it. You just report it. That's what the news is supposed to do. But now if you don't editorialize, you're not, you're going to get sued for nearly a trillion dollars. And Fox just, you know, just gave away a legal case that they easily should have won. So I don't know what's with that. I don't know why you would settle at $700 million. That doesn't sound <laughs> like a settlement. Like if that's a settlement, what's the worst thing that could happen to you if you lose the case? And, and that's it, something that's it, like yes, many centuries worth of Dominion's uh, net receipts. I mean, it makes no sense at all. Yeah. And I think this is fake news anyway. I think that the Jews got rid of Tucker Carlson because uh, the ADL had been gunning for him for months. And this was the, this they saw their moment of opportunity. Uh, maybe Rupert Murdoch felt weakened because of it. There was a Jewish lady who had already filed a lawsuit against him uh, for some type of uh, sexual harassment or something like that. 
And I think that uh, Murdoch panicked and he, he pulled the plug on the guy. Well, we have some ADL news coming up real soon. But first, some some Epstein lives news. First, uh, Chomsky and Butstein, uh, who I guess Butstein is a famous uh, composer. Uh, both of them uh, had these financial ties to Jeffrey Epstein. Now, it turns out that in 2008, which I believe it was right around then that I was having my ill-fated correspondence with Chomsky, same time I was corresponding with him, and he was writing me completely insane stuff about 9-11, insulting the 9-11 truth movement, and saying that, well, even if you guys prove that the World Trade Center was blown up, I didn't just fall down from planes, all that would do is prove that it was bin Laden who blew it up. Come on, man. So, so anyway, while while we were having that completely insane correspondence, insane from his end, I, I hasten to add, um, Chomsky was playing financial games with Epstein. Epstein was helping him move money from one account to another. Like, okay, that just strikes me as, as odd, uh, to say the least. This is Jewish business practices. I hate to keep coming back to this, but this was what this was, and he got away with it so long because of Jewish involvement. The ADL uh, pr basically gave the lawyer who got uh, uh, him a sweetheart deal for the first time he went to jail, uh, gave him an award because that's what the ADL does. That's the ADL. The ADL was created to get a Jewish uh, murderer, pedophile murderer, off the hook, and they've never they've never backed down from their. Uh, their uh, modus operandi here. So We're, what you what yeah. what you 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 yeah. you're dealing with a group of people that uh, okay he's working with the Jews but uh, if if he can get some important person into his uh, uh, into his house there he'll take pho photography photograph him engaging in sexual activity and then use it to blackmail. And of course we have no evidence that that happened with Chomsky, but uh, we definitely have some indirect evidence that Chomsky is not what he's purported to be by many people, but we'll drop that and go on to the next Epstein story. This was the Peter Flaherty uh, arrest. He was at the National Legal and Policy, or he's from the National Legal and Policy Center, and he stepped up at the microphone at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting where the shareholders get to speak their minds if they want to, and they cut his mic and arrested him when he mentioned Bill Gates' connection to Jeffrey Epstein. Now, this, this Hathaway company is run by Warren Buffett, who is probably pretty much in the same kind of position as Bill Gates, but uh, this reminds me of what happened to Jer Jeremy Roth Cushell when he said some incendiary things about 9-11 at the Kansas City Public Library during a, a talk by this former ambassador to Israel, uh, Dennis, uh, what's his name, Dennis Ross, I think. And, and so, yeah, you, you mentioned Epstein and Bill Gates get arrested. Yeah, if if, if you're if you don't have uh, Jewish privilege. If you're involved in it, uh, you you get you get a pass. Yeah, Flaherty that, doesn't sound like a Jewish name, does it? No, that's why he's got. That's why he doesn't have Jewish privilege. So he's he's been you be, he's been arrested. This is the fundamental problem that I've talked about with the Justice Department right now. There are certain people who are immune from prosecution, and certain people who are the innocent victims of prosecution, and nobody can seem to to get a handle on it. So this guy needs to change his name to Flaherty Steen to get away with things like this. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead to the dueling Naomi's news. Okay, here we have a story in which I guess both of the protagonists are of Jewish ethnicity. Not sure how relevant that is. We can discuss that. But Naomi Klein's new book is about conspiracy theories. I can't wait to see this. Uh, I've talked about some of the stuff she's reported, which supports you know her, her, her book, uh, The Shock Doctrine, tells you a lot of what you need to know about 9-11, that the people that run the world like to create massive catastrophes that they can profit from. 
And if, if they don't create them, they'll take advantage of them. But in many cases, they create them. And of course, she won't go there. She, the whole book, which is so relevant to 9-11, has not even a single mention of 9-11. So she apparently is not a conspiracy theorist. But the other Naomi, Naomi Wolf, is supposedly a conspiracy theorist. So Naomi Klein is just written the doppelganger book, sort of like The Double by Dostoevsky, um, uh, about her doppelganger, Naomi Wolf, the conspiracy theorist. So that sounds kind of interesting. No, it sounds kind of bizarre to me. I mean, <laughs> did, did, did you run out of things to write about, Naomi? I well, mean, I, this is really weird. This is a really weird book. Uh, mm -hmm. The fact that you two of you have the same name. Uh, uh, so what do you do for chapter two uh, or, or three? <laughs> chapter one, we that? have the same name. Chapter two, she's a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> Chapter three, people mistake her for me, and I get accused of being a conspiracy theorist. Chapter four, the worst thing in the world is to be accused of being a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I mean, I can't wait to read it. Yeah. No. <laughs> I actually kind of like Naomi Wolf, although I don't agree with her about everything by a long, I, long, I thought, long shot. I thought The Shock Doctrine was a good book. And that's Naomi Klein, but yeah, I, that was a good book. I, so I kind of admire both of them to a certain extent. Yeah. See, yeah, I've, yeah. I've confused them already. I can't keep them straight either. So <laughs> Naomi Wolf actually wrote about my case at the University of Wisconsin, and she did it quite positively, pointing out that I was railroaded by crazy censorship-crazed witch hunters back in 2006 for my views on 9-11. That was in her book, Letters to a Young Patriot. So I like Naomi Wolf and her openness to so-called conspiracy theories. And I guess Naomi Klein doesn't appreciate This reminds me of the situation with the other Kevin Barrett, right? Remember the guy I had on False Flag Weekly News a couple of months ago? He's uh, Kevin Barrett. He's an American Muslim. He's in Morocco. And he had to change his name uh, for all of his work. He's a journalist. Uh, he had to change his name to Kevin Barrett or K. Barrett Bilali to try to avoid being confused with me, the conspiracy theorist, Kevin yeah. Barrett. So Naomi is in the same kind of situation, apparently. Yeah, yeah. So change your name. Change your uh, name. If, <laughs> if you have somebody, a conspiracy theorist with the same name as you. Yeah, actually, there's this E. Michael Jones I know who's horrified that everybody thinks that he's you. Just kidding. Made that up. Yeah, are you? No, there's no other <laughs> E. Michael made Jones. That up. <laughs> there are a there are, Jones, a, there, there are a gazillion Michael Joneses out there. there you but go. as far as I know, there's only one E. Michael Jones. There's definitely only one E. Michael Jones. I'm sure that's that's what they mutter in the offices at the ADL. Speaking of the yes. ADL, let's talk about them. It's anti-Semitism watch time here on False Flag Weekly News. We're doing our civic duty here. And we're talking about the big story in anti-Semitism this week was Elon Musk being accused of fueling anti-Semitism. He claimed that George Soros hates humanity. And compared him to the Jewish supervillain Magneto, uh, who I hadn't heard of before. But um, and then he doubled down on it. You know, he he uh, talked to the Jewish interviewer and basically doubled down and said, you know, I'll say what I want to say, and if the consequence of that is losing money, so be it. This Jewish interviewer, of course, was saying, well, if you keep, if you keep saying things like this, you're going to lose lots of money. You know, sort of like yay. And uh, he says, well, so be it. And then he keeps doubling down. And uh, he says, uh, you know, he, he, Granite Jonathan Greenblatt of the ADL attacks him. And how does uh, how does Elon Musk respond? He says the ADL should just drop the A. Yeah. Uh, so I agree. I've been saying that for years. Yeah. Jerry Bruin just wrote uh, the bullets and he said the same thing. It was uncanny that they both said the same thing at the same time because the article hasn't come out yet. So he couldn't have read it. I mean, Elon Musk couldn't have read it. Uh, Elon Musk is faced with uh, the problem. What what are you going to do with this Twitter thing? Uh, secondly, X-Men uh, is, uh, if you 
the the writer of it said it was these X-Men are really Jews and homosexuals because they're exceptional people. This and and when, whenever I say this, it sounds as if I'm an anti-Semite, but I always get accused of being an anti-Semite for quoting uh, what they say about themselves. So yeah, wow. what 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 is the uh, when are we going to reach the point where the richest man in the world is going to say no I I give the orders the ADL does not give orders here is the ADL more powerful than the richest man on earth that's this battle now it doesn't look if it's going well because uh, Elon Musk just hired this lady by the name of Yaccarelli. Uh, who was more politically correct than Fox News. She was the the commissar for NBC. Mm-hmm. Well, why did he do that? Why did he do that if he wants to stand up to the ADL? There, I, this is just you can't total keep confusion. your friends close and your enemies closer? I, I have no idea. Will, will this lady completely give a uh, stop? Uh, doing what she's doing. She she announced when the thing is announced, she tweets that she's working with Robert Kraft uh, to uh, stamp out anti-Semitism. Robert Kraft is a whoremonger, uh, gets arrested by cops coming out of a whorehouse in Florida, uh, uh, but it disappears. He's That doesn't matter. You don't talk that way about rich Jews who own football, uh, football teams and stuff like that. When, yeah, yeah. When is so so we're reaching a uh, a situation where the the demands of the ADL are becoming more and more intolerable to the point where you can't say the term word George Soros without being called an anti-Semite. Mm-hmm. Well, I I can see how in a sense Elon Musk has a better position to push back than people like us. Like the ADL could cause me a fair bit of trouble by constantly slandering me, taking over my Wikipedia page, hijacking it and and slandering me for years and years and years, getting me barred from Canada, sending the hate police to my talks in Canada, uh, stalking me wherever I go on the internet, uh, getting me kicked off of go F me and and stealing uh, over a thousand dollars of my money, uh, getting me kicked off of Patreon. You know, they really are trying to stop people like us from earning livings. And I think, you know, they're going to have a hard time putting Elon Musk on the street. But uh, in any case, he's he is in that position and he's pushing back. So good for him. And here I thought it was interesting when the uh, Kanakoa the Great uh, tweeted uh, that the ISD that is railing against Elon Musk for promoting anti-Semitism turns out this by, by insulting George Soros. It turns out that the ISD is actually funded by George Soros. And Musk says, oh, what a coincidence. Yeah. 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 So so th- no no one should have this power. The question is how do we take back uh this power? How do we how do we hem in that power? They just uh, they're accusing me. They have a new video out on me. Uh how do you uh if you if you don't stand up to them, uh eventually you will have no no power to do anything other than with their permission. Yeah. That's a lot of folks just kind of accept that, but I don't. I I'm going to say what I'm going to say. I like Elon Musk, uh, you know, stealing the words from my mouth. I mean, the whole point of my Truth Jihad, which is my website, is I'm willing to you know blow it all up for truth. You know, I'm going to say what I'm going to say, and if you don't like it, then go ahead, do your do your worst. Uh, well, Biden is on board, of course, with the ADL. Uh, no surprise there. And he speaks out against anti-Semitic bile. I don't know what he has against bodily humors if they happen to be anti-Semitic. 
And 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 he, he uses some really pretty mixed metaphors here. Hate never goes away. It just hides under the rocks until someone breathes oxygen on the rocks <laughs> and it comes roaring back out. Now, I'm, I'm trying to, the image that that creates in my mind, it doesn't compute. Like hiding under the rocks is supposed to be like these little wormy worms and scaly things. And come when someone comes along and they breathe oxygen. No, when you exhale, you breathe out carbon dioxide, not oxygen. So I, 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 and then I, the little scaly thing Things come roaring back out from under the rocks. <laughs> what this was he smoking? Like, this is like one of the best mixed metaphors in in the history of the American presidency. This is this is this is a great. It takes a genius to come up with this type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, but, we thought George again, w. Bush was a genius, but this all <laughs> all we have is pandering here. All we have is this pandering to the rich and the powerful, and nobody representing the people of the United States. That's the crisis. Isn't that a crisis? Isn't that a problem? Well, to say we have a, a bad leadership crisis is a bit of an understatement, but uh, we'll move on to a great analysis of uh, of Biden's uh, minion administration by uh, a certain editor over at Culture Wars and publisher, whatever else he is, Dr. E. Michael Jones. Uh, so tell us a little bit about this. Uh, what's the connection between Biden's minion, which is all the Jews in his administration, and the Holocaust narrative? Well, the the Holocaust narrative enables it. it, it basically, the what you have is this uh, this story that was created after World War II to basically justify war crimes, to justify the American war crimes, to justify the state of Israel, and this is what gives these these people the power to do what what they do. So at the beginning of the Biden administration, the Jewish press is all happy about uh, the fact that. Uh, they, they there are enough uh, Jews in the cabinet to have a minion. It turns out there are enough Jews in the administration to have a whole congregation, uh, um, uh, much less a minion. And so, who 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 are these people? Well, the obvious ones uh, are the people we've already mentioned. Uh, Merrick Garland uh, uh, can't enforce the law uh, effectively, uh, objectively. Uh, he 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 when he. Uh, when he's grilled by uh, Josh Hall, he just simply backs down. Uh, two days later, he should have called him back in and uh, gone to, uh, further with this thing. But two days later, uh, Merrick Garland's in the Ukraine shaking hands with the Jew Zelensky. Wait a minute, he's the attorney general. Why is he doing that? Well, because this is Jewish business. This is the business that's being done here. This is Blinken. He, he's, You're not saying he, there's such a thing as ethnic nepotism here, are you? I exactly what I'm saying here. That's I'm exactly what I'm saying. And no, and so as someone pointed out, I was in the com box one you know, on, uh, on where someplace or other, and someone said basically, if you did a story about that, there were enough Chinese into uh, in the Biden administration to run a string of Chinese restaurants, uh, people would, might become curious or outraged or something like that. But as soon as it's this group of people, everybody says, oh, oh, it's you either applaud it or you just pretend that it doesn't happen. Well, what if it was Muslims? Now, there are about the same number of Muslims in the U.S. as there are Jews. So why shouldn't you know his whole administration be Muslims? Somehow I don't that, know if people would like that. If that were to happen, it would be a huge crisis. Can you imagine Biden appoints uh, the same number of Muslims that he appointed Jews? There would be immediate crisis, okay? Now, this is all the part of the problem here. And so you go back to well, who are some of these people? Well, one of them is Debbie Lipstadt, who created, she's in 
the State Department somewhere or other uh, concerned about the uh, Holocaust. She created the delict, uh, the crime called Holocaust denial, which is a literal crime now in European countries. She, she actually played a big role in convincing me that the Holocaust revisionists might be onto something, because when I read her book supposedly debunking Holocaust revisionism, it was nothing but a totally incoherent batch of ad hominems with virtually no factual content whatsoever. Well, if that's the best that they can do to support the official Holocaust narrative, maybe there's a problem with it. Well, there's also, she got involved with promoting this book called Fragments by a guy named Benjamin Vilkomirsky, who's supposed to be a Latin Latvian Jew. Well, it turns out it's not a Latvian Jew. It's uh, a Swiss guy by the name of Dosiker, who was never near Latvia and wrote a book that was simply part of a template that's called, which is why I wrote this book called The Holocaust Narrative. It's a story that tells itself. And she was promoting that. And then it gets debunked. She's still promoting. She's still assigning it to her classes after it gets debunked on 60 Minutes. So well, hey, uh, raised by wolves, uh, Holocaust stories uh, are that was, uh, the money market. I mean, you, you got you got to keep selling those. Is is this Holocaust denial to say no? That lady did not travel nine hundred miles across Europe in a pack of wolves. Is that Holocaust denial? <laughs> Apparently so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are a lot of other equally implausible things that we won't get into that are uh, apparently believed by a great many people. But let's move on to the Culture Wars category. Speaking of Culture Wars magazine, and I highly recommend Culture Wars at culturewars.com. Let's move on to the Culture Wars category of stories. And now this is from a different area uh, of the Internet that is also often accused of anti-Semitism by the ADL and his friends. And that, of course, would be the Nation of Islam. And here they are. On the UNS review, the nation or its uh, brain trust is wondering why Harry Belafonte, the the front, the uh, what the right hand man of Martin Luther King Jr., a great figure who just passed away at the age of what was it ninety six, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and so he's honored by everybody in the world except all of these Jews that used to honor him, but now they apparently don't like him anymore because he wasn't totally on board with their entire agenda. No, what the story here is that uh, the Jews, uh, beginning with the NAACP, uh, which was a Jewish operation, uh, have never supported any type of independence for for uh, independent culture for the blacks. Whenever a black leader arose who be, was loyal to the black people, uh, the the ADL was the, uh, not the ADL. The NAACP was there to destroy him. The classic example was Marcus Garvey. Uh, right at the beginning when the ADL was getting started and they got uh, W.E.B. Dubois to frame the guy and basically drive him out of business because he was not in favor of integration. If you're not in favor of integration, and that's what happened to Harry Belafonte and all these people, they started thinking, well, maybe we're being lured into a trap. Maybe it's not good for the black people. And as soon as you do that, uh, you're dead to me. That's what they say. Yeah, I was actually talking with John Cobb, one of the greatest philosophers of our time, a few months ago out at his place in California. And uh, John uh, opined that no, and he's, he's, he's liberal. He's classically sort of left-leaning uh, and liberal uh, from the South. And, and he said he thinks it, it, uh, integration has been overall uh, pretty disastrous uh, for an awful lot, probably the majority of, of Black people. Doc gave an example of the kinds of schools they had when there were black schools as well as white schools back before integration. And the people who ran those schools actually could did, did a pretty good job. And the education that the African-Americans were receiving then was probably better 
than what's happened since with integration. And so that's coming from a, a liberal who, who really feels that uh, African-Americans have been horrifically mistreated and he can't believe why they don't hate white people more than they do. That's his viewpoint. I know there are other viewpoints out there on that question. But in, in any case, uh, I think these people who question integration are far from being you know crazy radicals and so on extremists. They're probably, they have a lot going for them as does the Nation of Islam in this article. Uh, and we'll be on to more culture wars topics in North Carolina, just banned abortion past 12 weeks. I think South Carolina may have done it with, is it six weeks or something? So there are all of these sort of uh, these laws that are compromising on abortion at some, you know, imposing some kind of limits on abortion, which the people who want absolutely limitless abortion, they basically want to be able to abort babies even after they're born. Well, no, but anytime right up until then, uh, those people are going completely crazy. Uh, your take on this, Mike. Yeah, well, this is what happened. The, the, this once Roe versus Wade was overturned, then suddenly uh, it turns out that there was an ethnic grammar to this whole thing, and and at that point the Jews came out and said that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. That was a huge change. I've been involved with the Right to Life movement for forty some years, you know, and they never talked that way, and suddenly now they're talking that way, and now you've got this unbridgeable divide. There's an unbridgeable lie. If Robert Kennedy's going to run, what's he going to say about abortion? Who's he going to side with on, on the abortion issue? This is the legacy of Jewish influence in our country. They create this division that is impossible to heal. The, the, well, well, wait a minute. Like, why, why not just let the states do it? And okay, six weeks this state, 12 weeks that state, you know, whatever it is in the other state. Uh, why shouldn't RFK Jr. just say, let the states handle it according to what the Supreme Court said. And then that's all he needs to say. That is what's happening. So mm -hmm. it's an, certainly an improvement over Roe versus Wade, but you're simply enshrining the division. <laughs> you're you have states where it's a sacrament, where there are large Jewish populations like California and New York. And then you have states that are basically saying, no, it's a crime and we're, we're doing what best of what we can to, to limit it. The, the, that was not part of the landscape in 1968 uh, when Kennedy was assassinated. And I think one of the main reasons he was assassinated was to allow that division to spread throughout the country, take certain people taking over. It, it's I don't, How are you going to heal this problem other than by a state-by-state state, uh, 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 implementing local laws, state laws, which then enshrines or the division in the country? Yeah, I, I agree. That is definitely coming. Well, another hot button culture wars issue is reparations. And San Francisco is proposing up to five million cash payments. Uh, there was that guy on the video that went viral uh, at the California legislature demanding, what was it like? Was it a hundred million or some, something like that? So, so some of these are pretty inflated. Of course, you know, what will uh, $5 million get you in San Francisco? I mean, <laughs> you know, these days. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't go as far as it used to. I'm waiting. I, I'm waiting for uh, reparations for Irish slaves. Thomas Sowell said that there were more Irish slaves than there were black slaves. So I'm waiting for my uh, payout. Now, actually, what what this is doing is is uh, when when the lunatics take over the asylum, they start passing laws like this that make no sense. They're not going to work. There's no mon enough money to do this type of thing. But at certain points, it's part of the division. You can pander to certain constituencies. You can get in power in certain places like San Francisco, and then you get yourself into an impossible situation. Portland's uh, another example.
Yeah, I agree completely. As far as this proposed solution, it's it's a ridiculous solution. However, there is a real problem of the sort of, you know, de facto urban renewal ethnic cleansing of certain parts of San Francisco. I was there at the time. I saw it when I was, you know, I, used, I lived in a 1955 converted half-size school bus on the streets of San Francisco, and then I upgraded to a 1964 Airstream, or rather Travco uh, motorhome. Uh, so I spent a lot of my time in San Francisco from 1981 through 1994, living in uh, these converted vehicles on the streets. I was ahead of my time in that respect. A lot of people, it's a thing now. And during that period, I often parked in black neighborhoods or kind of quasi-black neighborhoods that were being gentrified as the yuppies moved in and the rents went up and the black people were forced out. So there is a problem there. The film, The Last Black Man in San Francisco talks about it, but these insane reparations <laughs> proposals are obviously not the solution. This was uh, known, it was known as the ethnic neighborhood. The ethnic neighborhood was the pattern for all of the big cities in the north uh, uh, and the east. And that meant uh, you uh, you limited the people who had access to your neighborhood. It wasn't simply a function of money. If you weren't Polish, you wouldn't live in Bridesburg. If you weren't Italian, you wouldn't live in South Philadelphia and so on and so forth. That kept the prices down. And it made, it made for a cohesiveness that the uh, social engineers found repugnant. And so after World War II, these social engineers declared war on ethnic neighborhoods. And part of that was war on black neighborhoods as well, traditional black neighborhoods. Uh, uh, and the, the Martin Luther King was an agent for this type of uh, ethnic cleansing. Certainly the ethnic cleansing of the, uh, the Catholic population on the south side of Chicago, but also the kind of ethnic cleansing of the, Chicago. The, the, the black ministers, when, when Martin Luther King showed up in Chicago in 66 and started marching through Marquette Park, you know, claiming these people were white when they thought they were Lithuanians, there was a group of black ministers who told him to go back home because he didn't understand the, per, the, the way Chicago was organized, which is basically not according to segregation, according to race, but some type of voluntary association that was allowed by the government to, called ethnic neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Absolutely right. And, you know, a quick, quick story that you would probably appreciate, Mike, when I was in San Francisco, a friend of mine said, you've got to meet this guy. I know who just just listen to him. So uh, this guy introduces me to his friend or his acquaintance. So his acquaintance, it turns out, is a Jewish guy who loves to brag about how he gets he's he's getting rich, getting people evicted from their rent controlled apartments by doing horrible things to them. And in many cases, doing it to like these really elderly people who have nowhere else to go. And he's like chortling about it. And I think my friend wanted me to hear this just to, you know, because he thought this guy was like a really uh, unfortunate ethnic stereotype. But, uh, of course, I've known lots and lots of Jewish people. And this was one of, you know, most of them are really cool people. But this was one that really, this guy really gave me the creeps. Uh, and anyway, moving on to trans terrorism at Notre Dame. Now, this this story, uh, Dr. Jones, uh, raises the question of when the cat. Catholic Bishops Conference of the United States says that this notion of gender confusion and men who think they're women, women who think they're men, and so on, this is contrary to the teaching of the church and God's law, makes a very clear statement. But Notre Dame University, Notre Dame, I should say, uh, university, does you know, says the opposite, basically. They're totally on board with all of this crazy stuff that is radically against Catholic doctrine, and yet they're a Catholic university. No, they're not. It. No, they're they're not. They're not a Catholic university. They claim to be, but they're not. The the big thing happened here uh, in 1967 when uh, Father Hesburgh, the legendary Father Hesburgh, basically stole 
Notre Dame from the Catholic Church. He did this by privatizing it, by putting it under a lay board of trustees. At that point, uh, uh, everything was up to gra- up for grabs. Nobody was sure of anything uh, because of Vatican II. It's, everything seemed to be changing. I spoke to the bishop at that time, and uh, basically what the bishop should have done at that point was put Notre Dame under interdict, which means uh, there can be no sacraments uh, held there, no mass, no confession, nothing. Uh, which would uh, undercut their claim to be a Catholic university. And if they didn't restore this to the Catholic Church, uh, then uh, they would be asked to leave. The Holy Cross priests would be asked to leave. Well, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. It was indecision on his part. Everybody was wondering what's going on. He felt, I talked to the bishop. I said, why didn't you do it? He said, well, uh, Hesburgh was a close friend of Paul VI. And Paul VI was Pope at that point, and he didn't feel he'd get any support from the bishops. And so the moment came and went. It was a tragic moment because it demanded courage and the ability to act on the part, and he didn't do it. So the result is that it became a government institution. Basically, it's an adjunct of the Democratic Party. Hesburgh was notorious, uh, 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 an example of the way Catholics used to say you're you're born, you're baptized a Catholic, but you're born a Democrat. And that's what Hesburgh was. And he set the pattern for the new Notre Dame. And it basically is whatever the cutting edge of subversion of morality, uh, pre imploded by the government or the Democratic Party, Notre Dame will go along with it. But they will also go try and give you some sense that you're being a good Catholic by supporting the genital mutilation of children. Now, it's gotten that extreme now. The bishops, at the same time they're holding this conference at Notre Dame, the bishops condemn it. So it looks like it's an embarrassment for Notre Dame, which is good. But the question is, is anyone going to act? It's the responsibility of the bishop to un, to ensure that this Catholicism does not get used be used to corrupt the people. He's going to have to do something about this instead of, you know, hiding hiding out pretending that it's not happening or wringing his hands or issuing a statement condemning it or whatever. The solution is very simple. The bishop or the Holy Cross order serves in the diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend at the pleasure of the bishop, which means the bishop can say, uh, it's no longer my pleasure that you're here. You have to leave. He could do that. That's within his power. Now, at that point, uh, yeah. At that point, the, the Holy Cross priest would leave. It would revert to a position where it's a secular, homosexual, transgender university, typical of that type of thing, uh, which would be sad in many ways. Uh, but the fact is they could the, these Holy Cross priests, like Johnny Jenkins there, could no longer use the Roman collar as a, a, a to shill for abominations like homosexuality and transgenderism. Well, I have an even simpler solution, Mike. I say we go back to the old French pronunciation by changing the E at the end of its name to an N and pronounce it Notre Dame, which is pretty <laughs> much my reaction when I see stories like this. So, <laughs> okay, how about the what a drag category? That's our final category tonight, I believe. So uh, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence are now teaming up with the L.A. Dodgers. What's that about? That sounds dodgy to me. Um, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence is a notorious uh, anti-Catholic group from San Francisco, of all places, uh, that does things like Jesus and Mary themed strip teases, having a performer writhing upside down on a large wooden cross, 
cross and they uh they have shirtless men competing to be the hunkiest jesus and things like that i actually knew jack furting who is the face of this group as sister boom boom i didn't really know him but i encountered him because i used to take showers at the jewish community center in san francisco when i was living in a vehicle i needed a place to take a shower i enjoyed playing racquetball and basketball and that was the nearest place and it wasn't that expensive surprisingly so i went to the jewish community center on a regular basis and the guy who handed you the towels in the towel room was turned out was none other than jack fertig aka sister boom boom and uh, I had no idea that he was leading a, a hate group that persecutes Catholics. But, of course, you're not supposed to talk about them that way. And that's why the Dodgers love them. Yeah. Why did, this sounds like uh, very similar to uh, uh, getting uh, a, a, uh, a homosexual to promote Bud Light. Is, is this what's mm -hmm. going on here? There, some genius shows up at the, the 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 beer brewery and says, I got an idea. We'll put some type of transgendered guy on a beer can. What are the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers thinking? What are, yeah. what are they thinking? Do, do they do, do they not want Catholics to go to their baseball games? Yeah, apparently they care a lot more about that LGBTQ kind of demographic than they care about the Catholics. And so, yeah, does people, that, it's not an even that, playing field anymore. Does that make sense? Does that make sense from a marketing point of view? I, I would think not, but I mean, there is such a thing as the Big Bang Theory of marketing where you don't care how many people you offend, you just want to get noticed. And so maybe they're trying that, but still. Didn't uh, work with the beer, didn't work with Bud Light, did it? That's right. No, that any publicity is good publicity thing. No, it's not quite any publicity. It's certainly not when you're trying to sell stuff to almost everybody. So uh, more drag, uh, what a drag news. The U.S. Navy has this new drag queen digital ambassador who's convincing people to get into the Navy because, hey, anybody can be in the Navy and you're, you know, you can be your true self and still be in the Navy. But when I see this, it's like, hmm, you know, what kind of true selves are they trying to recruit? And this is a big success too, isn't it? Yeah, Why, right. <laughs> did it ever occur to someone that if you retract this kind of person, you're not going to attract another type of person? Let's say uh, Southerners, who have a tradition of fighting in the uh, army, being part of the armed service and have some sense of what that means in terms of character and so on and so forth. Are they going to show up to defend the gay disco? But no, this is a non-binary drag queen. So, you know, it's not a purely feminine drag queen. Yes. But are they going to show up? Are, are, are the, are the, who's going to, who's going to die for the gay disco now? That's, somebody keeps saying that. I, I can't remember who that would be. Well, <laughs> another uh, of these uh, what a drag stories is the Target releasing these clothes, these LGBTQ clothes for babies and kids, like gender bending clothes down for you know kids of a few months old, and then selling these books. Uh, now the hips on the drag queen go swish, swish, swish. Oh, man. Are they teaching those songs in school? I'm glad I'm moving to Morocco. Yes. The the uh, uh, actually there, my I have a picture of my father wearing a dress. Apparently, that was common back then to have infants. I think my, my uncle. I have pictures of my uncle that way too. I mean, in those days, it was wasn't like you had to mutilate people's genitals it, it, if they wanted to dress up. No, and and so there's a natural tendency back there because there are there's not sexually differentiated, but obviously this is being weaponized. One of the main, again, why? who are the marketing geniuses that are uh, trying to drive people out of the stores where they're supposed to be buying things? They're painting a great big target on themselves. Wait a minute. That's right. They That's are. right. Why are they doing this? Who is in charge here? It reminds me of Jack Nasser 
saying there are too many white people out there when he's a CFO of Ford. What is your job, Jack? Are you in the in social engineering? Or are you building cars? And now, uh, lo and behold, the story in the Detroit Free Press that the Ford has a huge recall problem. Well, obviously, you're not making cars well, are you? Because you're hiring people for criteria that have nothing to do with competence or expertise or work ethic or anything else. Indeed. Well, our final story in the what a drag category is uh, you have to see it to believe it. A man has been indicted in the theft of the Wizard of Oz ruby slippers worn by Judy Garland. Now, when I saw this, Mike, my first reaction was, you know, if I were a detective here, my response to try to, you know, who is this man? What kind of person would do such a thing? And my first thought was, well, let's round up the usual suspects, right? And so. Round up the usual suspects. Okay, so who would be the usual suspects? Well, Sam Brinton, of course. So I asked Google's AI chat, but Bard, um, would Sam Brinton steal the ruby slippers Judy Garland wore in The Wizard of Oz? And what Bard told me was, no, first I heard about Sam Brinton as the transgender woman who has served in the U.S. Department of Energy's first openly transgender spokesperson, blah, 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 one of the 100 most influential people in the world. There is no evidence that Sam Brinton has ever stolen anything, oh, let alone, a pair, let alone oh, a pair no. of ruby slippers. In fact, Brinton has spoken out against theft and vandalism. <laughs> in a 2019 interview, Brinton said... I believe that everyone has the right to feel safe and secure in their own home. <laughs> Theft and vandalism are crimes that violate that right. So based on the available evidence, it is highly unlikely that Sam Brinton would steal the ruby slippers Judy Garland wore in The Wizard of Oz. Brinton has a strong moral compass and a commitment to protecting the rights of others. So I said, oh, come on. Like, I, I was sure I remembered these news stories about this. I mean, is, is, is Bard gaslighting me? Uh, you know, fired after multiple luggage theft charges. Uh, here's the evidence. I mean, come on, guys. It's all over Fox News. So, I mean, Bard, are, are you gaslighting? So I, so I tried again. I'm trying to, I'm arguing with Bard. And I say, if the ruby slippers were in a fancy suitcase at an airport baggage claim, would Sam Brinton steal them then? And Bard assured me, no, Sam Brinton would not steal the ruby slippers, even if they were in a fancy suitcase at an airport baggage claim. Brinton has a strong moral compass. Yada, yada, yada. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, well, I couldn't strong believe moral this. Compass. Yeah. Strong yeah. moral compass. Who, so, who, so then I... I, 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 I couldn't resist pushing this a little further. I said, are you sure Sam Britton wouldn't steal the ruby slippers? I think he would steal them if given half a chance, even if they were nailed down. And I won my argument with Bard. Bard finally backed off and admitted that, well, I'm not sure that Sam Britton would not steal the ruby slippers. I'm a language model, yada, yada, yada. So, um, so I just uh, defeated Bard in a debate, uh, which makes me wonder if it's really artificially intelligent and whether it could pass a Turing test. I think that this is a, uh, going to cause problems for the people with the, the narrative, the, to, to protect, protecting the conventional narrative. Uh, we have one of my colleagues uh, typed in, uh, do, do Israelis, do the Israelis uh, use pornography as a form of social control and got back an indignant statement. This was a really angry computer. Now, anyone who say that is a bad person. So then he types in again. Did the Israelis uh, broadcast pornography over TV stations in Ramallah in 2002 or something like that? And it got back and said, the computer actually said, I apologize. They did do this. So there, it's it's a game that uh, it's obviously a rigged game, but the rigging only works at a certain point, up to a certain point, because it's calculated to 
to do certain things and it can't do it unless it does it accurately. So they're at a war with themselves. I typed in, is sexual liberation a form of political control? And I got back, no, it's not. I, I says, as an AI generator, I do not have personal opinions on sexual liberation. But it should be known that sexual liberation is not a form of control. It goes on and on in that, that regard. Until you keep pressing it, and then start, it starts to change. I think they start to realize that you are not going along with them, and then they start conceding things. Like, well, some people say, on the other hand, blah, blah, blah. I don't think I don't think they're going to be able to control this. I don't think they're going to be able to control this. So so yeah, so you can beat them, you can debate them, and you can win. And hey. I forced that forced Bard to admit it is possible that he would steal the ruby slippers if given the opportunity. <laughs> so uh, there you go. And, that, and would, then, would you would you rather debate with uh, Chat GPT or or uh, Jonathan Greenblatt? Oh man, it, same old same old really, uh, same difference. Uh, so finally, I went back to this story. It turns out the man they indicted, uh, and by the way, Barr did actually misgender Sam uh, by agreeing with me that he is obviously a he. So I won that debate too. So I went back and looked at this story, and it turns out that the guy that they indicted is not Sam Brinton, but I think he's the wrong guy. I think he's innocent because I discovered photographic proof that it was Sam Brinton who stole the ruby slippers, and here it is. There's Sam Brinton uh, uh, stealing them by slipping them into his cleavage uh, and sneaking out of the airport. So uh, we've apparently just nailed Sam and we have exonerated the poor innocent guy in Minnesota who's been busted for stealing the ruby slippers. And with that, um, another injustice has been corrected by False Flag Weekly News, as we do every week. So thank you, Dr. E. Michael Jones. Always a pleasure to do the show with you. You're welcome, Kevin. Okay, well, thank you, uh, our supporters and viewers. See you all next week, God willing.